Assalamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream on a Wednesday. And you know what that means. That means we begin with a dua, Hizban Nasr first of all, and then we go into the dua which is maqbul bi'idnillahi ta'ala. There is a sa'ah every Wednesday between the dhuhr wal asr, the times of dhuhr and asr. There is a time in which the dua is accepted, and we don't know when that time is, but there is a gap in the skies in which the doors open up of the heavens, doors of the heavens open up, and our dua will be accepted. So we, ha- <clears throat> we, will, we can't make dua the entire time because we have to do this program, but we can make dua at a certain period of time. So we're going to recite this, this wird, this dhikr, and then, um, and then we will, inshallah... Um, <clears throat> make our dua alright let's give it a second alright bismillahirrahmanirrahim إِنَّا فَتَحْنَا لَكَ فَتْحًا مُبِيْنًا لِيَغْفِرَ لَكَ اللَّهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنْ ذَنْبِكَ وَمَا تَأَخَّرْ وَيُتِمَّ نِعْمَتَهُ عَلَيْكَ وَيَهْدِيَكَ صِرَاطًا مُسْتَقِيمًا وَيَنْصُرَكَ اللَّهُ نَصْرًا عَزِيزًا وَكَانَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ وَجِيهًا وَجِيهًا فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ وَمِنَ الْمُقَرَّبِينَ وجهت وجهي للذي فطر السماوات والأرض بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نصر من الله وفتح قريب وبشر المؤمنين يا أيها الذين آمنوا كونوا أنصار الله كما قال عيسى بن مريم للحواريين من أنصاري إلى الله قال الحواريون نحن أنصار الله الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض من ذا الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه يعلم ما بين أيديهم وما خلفهم ولا يحيطون بشيء من علمه إلا بما شاء وسع كرسيه السماوات والأرض ولا يؤده حفظهما وهو العلي العظيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل لرأيته خاشعا متصدعا من خشية الله وتلك الأمتان نضربها للناس لأنهم يتفكرون والله الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم والله الذي لا إله إلا هو الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون والله الخالق البارئ المصور له الأسماء الحسنى يسبح له ما في السماوات والأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم وإذ نفسي بالله تعالى من كل ما يسمع بأذنين ويبصر بعينين ويمشي برجنين ويبطش بيدين ويتكلم بشفتين حصنت نفسي بالله الخالق الأكبر من شر ما أخاف وأحذر من الجن والإنس وأن يحضرون عز جاره وجل ثناؤه وتقدست أسماؤه ولا إله غيره اللهم إني أجعلك في نهور أعدائي وأعوذ بك من شرورهم وتحيلهم ومكرهم ومكائدهم أطفئ نار من أراد بعداوة من الجن والإنس يا حافظ يا حفيظ يا كافي يا محيط سبحانك يا رب ما أعظم شأنك وعز سلطانك تحصنت بالله وبأسماء الله وبآيات الله وملائكة الله وأنبياء الله ورسول الله والصالحين من عباد الله 
Assalamualaikum nafsi bila ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wa sallam Allahumma ahrusni bi'ainika allati la tanam wa knufni bikanafika allati la yuram warhamni biqudratika alayya fala ahlak wa anta tiqati wa rajai ya ghiyath al-mustaghithin ya ghiyath al-mustaghithin ya ghiyath al-mustaghithin ya darakal halikin ya darakal halikin ya darakal halikin اكفني شر كل طارق يطرق بليل او نهار الا طارقا يطرق بخير انك على كل شيء قدير بسم الله ارقي نفسي من كل ما يؤذي ومن كل حاسد الله شفائي بسم الله رقيت اللهم رب الناس اذهل الباس اشفي انت الشافي وعافي انت المعافي لا شفاء الا شفاءك شفاء ان يغادر السقم ولا الما يا كافي يا وافي يا حميد يا مجيد ارفع عني كل تعب شديد واكفني من الحد والحديد والمرض الشديد والجيش العديد واجعل لي نورا من نورك وعزا من عزك ونصرا من نصرك وبهاء من بهائك وعطاء من عطائك وحراسة من حراستك وتأييدا من تأييدك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام والمواهب العظام أسألك أن تكفيني من شر كل ذي شر إنك أنت الله الخالق الأكبر صلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه والحمد لله رب العالمين ظاهرا وباطنا وعلى كل حال يا أرحم الراحمين
الله بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين Alrighty, my ladies and gentlemen, I was about to say my brothers, and I said ladies and gentlemen at the same time, so I confused everything. Brothers and sisters, today we are on, we covered the affairs of the Ummah, and there are affairs of the Ummah, and that affair of the Ummah is serious issues with Sweden burning the Quran, what is up with them? Let's pull this article up. But you all have seen this, right? Sweden burning the Quran. What's their deal exactly? Anyone have a clue? What's going on with these people? Free speech. All right. Free speech. So what if um, some um, Catholics went and burned the LGBT flag, for example? What would, that, what would the result of that be? Would that be free too? All right, here we go. So let, where do we want to read this? Let's read it from... Um, no, you know what? I'm going to take the opposite because this is very interesting. I'm going to read the Jewish newspaper. Haaretz. Yeah, the Jewish paper. But the um, Wi-Fi, what's going on? Let's see what we got here. We got... Um, Safraz Mansouri is here. Uh, please, if you like this stream, you go to patreon.com forward slash Safina Society. And you could support this, um, this stream and support all of our projects. So Haaretz is the uh, Jewish newspaper, obviously. Or Israeli, I guess, would be the correct way to say it. Israeli. Drawing on a dark history of public book burning, anti-Muslim far-right provocateur has once again publicly set fire to the Quran in Stockholm. Why won't Sweden's government call it a hate crime? This is um, Israeli newspaper Haaretz, and their thing is called the their. This is an opinion piece. So they let a man named Farid Hafiz write the article. So this is not the there some Israeli person writing the article, but they published it. Fine. Let's see what it says. The far-right leader Rasmus Paladan is a serial Quran burner. In 2019, he staged public burnings of the Muslim holy book in several locations across Sweden. You know what? When we need to discard the Quran, we burn it. You're actually not desecrating the Quran when you do that. Of course, your intention is one way. But the beauty of what you're doing is you're giving more attention to the Quran. So these knuckleheads, they're provocateurs and everything, but they're in truth knuckleheads. They're idiots. They they don't know anything about how things really work. Whatever gets attention, okay, rises in people's minds, good or bad. 
does not matter whether it's good attention or bad attention. I welcome, you should, a person welcomes all attention, okay? He did this uh, across Sweden, sparking riots in several cities with dozens of arrests, injuries, damage to property, and he's doing it again. This time in front of the Turkish embassy in Stockholm, which triggered both local and international outrage. Last time, mainstream politicians expressed their disapproval. By the way, I do notice that most regular politicians, regular Western public figures recognize the extremism of this and they don't like it. While navigating Sweden's generous protections of freedom of speech, they did express their disapproval. Members of the Jewish community called for legal action, knowing that they have a history with this, and if you don't stop these things right away, these things can catch up with you. Okay? So they're one of the first people to call for an end to this. They re- recalled the Nazis burning Jewish-authored uh, uh, books, and that was a prelude to the Holocaust. Burning holy books like the Quran or the Torah, for that matter, is a hate crime, says said one uh, Jewish spokesman of some organization. But Sweden's political context is different now. The ruling coalition depends on the support of a highly xenophobic anti-Muslim far-right party with roots in Nazism. And Sweden is locked in a geopolitical drama with Turkey over NATO membership. The vicious act of burning the Muslim holy scriptures, which for the far right is a clear symbolic statement of intentions regarding Sweden's Muslims, is now seen as a distraction rather than a toxic hate crime. When Heinrich Hein wrote that those who burn books will end up burning people, those words were actually spoken by a Muslim character in a tragic love story set in Granada in 1492, following the Reconquista. In the 19th century, German poets telling, in his one play, uh, uh, Al-Mansur, the Arab protagonist Hassan, is involved in a doomed relationship with Donna Clara, who is a Moroccan woman who was forced to convert from Islam into Christianity and change her name. There is even a burning of the Quran in Hein's play. I've never heard of this play before, but it looks interesting. Book burnings have a long history in Europe, sometimes used to challenge political authority, authoritarian regimes, and to intimidate smaller populations. The burnings are usually public and highly symbolic, for books are always more than just carriers of writing. When enemies of the people are not available in person, or even already dead, their effigies are destroyed by proxy. Book burning thus becomes symbolic murder or symbolic destruction. There is also a specific and storied history of Quran burnings in recent years. Hey, listen, they're not going to burn it if it means nothing. They're not going to pay attention to you if you're not effective. Right? Remember what uh, Mr. October, Jesse Jackson said. What was his name? Not Jesse Jackson. Reggie Jackson. This is, this is a legend, a Yankee legend. And then they boo him. Okay? What did he say? They said, what did you feel of the fans of New York booing you? He said, they, they don't boo nobody. They only boo a somebody, right? They only boo someone relevant. They only boo someone who's got some power. So here, doing all this, you're just admitting. You're, you're driving everyone's attention to the Quran. 
He says here that Christian fundamentalist circles like evangelical pastor Terry Jones in 2010 also did this in the United States. In Florida, I believe he did this. Okay. But they were preceded by Charles Merrill, a gay artist who burnt the Quran at a 2007 New York event to eliminate homophobic hate. All right. Uh, did he start with the Bible? Because I think they also have something called Sodom and Gomorrah in that book. Merrill's act might have gone unnoticed beyond a rarefied art crowd had his cause not been taken up by the Russian-born American-Israeli gay porn actor and director Michael Lucas. Man, what a list of... Man. Russian-born, okay, American-Israeli gay porn actor and director. How many things is he going to have here? So which side is he on? He's, I mean, Russian-born... Anyway, who wrote a widely circulated essay entitled Burn the Quran, It's Gay Artwork, okay, in which he saluted Merrill for his artistic and social courage. The Quran is today's Mein Kampf, he said. I'm telling you, if they ever did anything what they did in World War II, it's the Europeans are going to do this to the Muslims in Europe. Huh? And the Chinese, and the Chinese have no problem doing it either. Consequently, it was the Dutch right-wing populist and open Islamophobe Geert Wilders who really popularized the Islam-Nazi analogy. Five days after Lucas's article, Wilders told the Dutch newspaper De De Volksrent, uh, I guess it's the People's Rant, right? The People's Paper, I guess. Uh, The core of the problem is fascist Islam, the Sikh ideology of Allah and Muhammad as laid down in Islamist Mein Kampf, and then promptly demanded the burning of the Qur'an. Um, Islam is, was, and will always be far more powerful than the Nazis, so you got your analogy wrong on the basis of power. And you got it wrong on the, na- on the na- basis of content as well, but power too. If you feared whatever you feared of the Nazis, forget content. If you're going to have a face-off with Islam, you better be ten times more afraid because this is a worldwide religion with a millennium and a half of history. You are not going to defeat. There is more likely a chance that one of your grandkids is going to be a Muslim, if you're a European, one of these people, than that you will ever live a life where you have exterminated all the Muslims, even from your own country. If you're a Sweden guy from right wing, chances are your grandkids are going to be Muslim or your great grandkids are going to be Muslim. Keep that in mind. Okay. That is a higher chance of that happening than of you attaining your goal of ridding Sweden of the Muslim presence, let alone Europe. Forget Europe. Sweden, now even a lot of Muslims there, right? Not even a lot of Muslims there. And still. That's the case. So Rasmus Paladin noticed the attention that Quran burning attracted. A failing, electorally irrelevant politician, Paladin began his career in Denmark, and he never more than, won more than 1.8% in national elections, but did succeed in being convicted of hate speech. Okay. He moved to Sweden and he established Stram Kurs 
a hardline political party and adopted Quran burning, a tool he'd been seen at hard, uh, had worked for other anti-Muslim grassroots movements to gain more attention. Following his, his hate stunts in 2019, he was given permission by the Swedish police to hold an anti-Muslim stunt in several cities in Sweden during the uh, Ramadan of 2022. Oh, good, the guy calculates when Ramadan is, right? You, you, you know probably when Ramadan is more than some Muslims, right? I mean, these people go around uh, the Muslims of Europe thinking that everyone's some pious person where the Muslims of Europe are just trying to, if they're practicing Islam at all, trying to just survive. Uh, he, he publicly burned copies of the Quran and called for the expulsion of Muslims. While Paladin presents himself as a defender of free speech, a touchstone of Swedish culture, his act of Quran burning is not about liberty or human rights. Drawing on a typical new right ideology, he wants to restore the ethnic homogeneity of white Nordic populations through the banning of Islam and by massive deportations. And by the way, when there's a country and they have a certain way of doing things, now a certain group of people come into that country and now we're upset, right? That's usually what happens. Now the question is this. How did those people come in? Did, you're not, did not your people, your liberal parties, let them in? Right? Because they either felt bad or they realized we don't have enough kids, so who's going to pay the Social Security? So we need these people to work and we can tax them and then we'll have enough money for Social Security. That's how it's been in Europe. Or they felt bad for all these people we colonized. A liberal generation comes around, have sympathy, lets in a whole bunch of Indians into England, let in a whole bunch of Algerians into France. Next generation comes along, wait, too much Algeria, too many brown people here. And then you change your mind. You guys are the ones who don't know what you're doing. No Muslims came in as conquerors. I would have loved to come in as a conqueror. Then we would have to deal with this nonsense. You'd be our subjects. But we didn't do that. And Allah has his own plan. They came in as refugees or as immigrants that you allowed into the country. You allowed them into the country. Your people, Yanni. Your grandparents. Your forefathers. Uh, whatever the previous uh, uh, mood was in your country of a sympathetic and liberal mood, you allowed all these people in. Now you're changing your mind. So if you have issues, go back to the precedent and see what laws were established that allowed this immigration. And take up your fight with them. What's worse, he says, these anti-Muslim rallies were intensely debated in Swedish media, but for the wrong reason. The debates did not focus on the racist dimensions of Quran burning. Rather, they focused on the importance of protecting free speech and how to maintain law and order. So in other words, let us do this in a good way. That's basically what they said. The leader of the tiny Christian Democratic Party, Eva Bush, who is directly, currently Deputy Prime Minister in the center-right government, even calls for police to shoot more Islamists following violent counter-demonstration to Paladin's Quran burning. By the way, your kids are watching this. Your kids are international kids. All, right? All kids today, they're international. They're global. A lot of them, I would say. And they're going to be embarrassed by this. They're going to be embarrassed. It's not to say that kids are, kids are proud of what they, get, what they have and what they are. But also worldwide, kids, they tend to be more international. And they're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be embarrassing your kids. 
your kids, they're probably rooting for Muslim soccer players, right? They're involved in the global community. So you're embarrassing yourselves. In Sweden these days, there seems to be little political will to consider burning the Qur'an to be a hate crime. The Prime Minister's office put out a bland statement calling the act disrespectful and expressing sympathy for all Muslims who are offended while emphasizing that freedom of expression is fundamental part of our democracy. So what does that mean? It's a nothing statement. It's one of those politicians who basically said a nothing statement, essentially. That's what it is. Uh, speaking out of both sides of his mouth, as many politicians tend to do. I feel like there's a big difference. Like For some reason, I'm just noticing this. I remember yeah. before I was a Muslim, yeah. um, like I was looking into all these religions and stuff, mm-hmm. and someone told me about Islam. I forgot Islam even existed. Wow. I literally didn't... like I. The only way I knew Islam existed was from playing Call of Duty when I was a kid. Like, because oh. there's like, you know, you play in the map of Afghanistan or something. Okay. The only yeah. way I knew Islam existed at all, and from like eighth grade history, like, I don't understand how they're so preoccupied with what we're doing, with what our interests are. Yeah. I never understood that. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like in America it might be different though. Yeah. Maybe, I, maybe that it's a live and let live more so here than there. I think we're. Uh, the, the minority of Muslims is higher there than here. Yeah, and there's nobody else. Mm. So here we have there the, uh, the minorities. It's Hispanics and African Americans. Then Muslims way down here. Yeah. And then they don't even classify you as Muslim. They'll just say like subcontinent. Hindu and Muslim. Uh, Hindu and Pakistan. Indian Pakistani. Yeah. Right? Arabs. North Africans. Very mm. small minority. So we're probably not even on the radar. Maybe right. because religion is just not relevant really here yeah. at all. It's more relevant there, maybe. Yeah, and also, if you think about it, America was founded on freedom of religion. Yeah. Europe, the new Europe was founded on, like, a despising of religion. Mm. Like, religion is what kept us back. Mm. So they want to shut it all out. Yeah. And it, America was founded on freedom of religion because like it doesn't really matter. Like, it's just yeah. this thing that you, you feel It's like just something right. you believe in. Yeah. They, they were never burned... U.S. history was never burned by religion, whereas in the in Europe they were burned by they were okay. shackled by the church. That makes right? sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I see why. So they despise. They're really suspicious of all belief. Because a controversy like this in America, it's like you could you wouldn't see this happen in America. Yeah, yeah. these type of things don't happen. You know. Also, I think here, the the founding fathers was always this like this little guy kicked out of England, right? And they love the the underdog here. Europe, I don't think they have that sentiment that they love the underdog. I don't. They don't have that that concept. So that's why minorities to them is like you're just you're living in our country basically. This is our country. You're living here. Minorities in America, it's like we're all built this country together, right? That's the mentality. Every every group that comes gets pushed aside a little bit in in the United States, but eventually lets get in. They they let them in into the circles of social acceptance. Okay, so he says here that nobody can be forced to respect anybody, but a hate crime has legal consequences. Since the debate has been framed around protecting free speech, depicting Paladin as a critic of Islam rather than an open Islamophobe, the idea that there can now be self-reflection, critical self-reflection about how aggressively anti-Muslim positions have become, uh, have become so mainstream seems far away. So the only solution to this is not to object, 
is to take it to its logical conclusion. Take an Israeli flag, take an LGBTQ flag, and start burning them. See what happens. Go in front of the Israeli embassy and burn their flag. Go in front of a gay nightclub and burn their flag. See what, take things to the logical conclusion. That's the only real solution. You don't resist it. There's no point in that. You're never going to look good when you're defensive. In the wake of, Rush, of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, Sweden decided to apply f- for full NATO membership. Okay. But has been locked in an acrimonious confrontation with Turkey, who refuses to acquiesce until Stockholm extradites Kurdish PKK activists. Uh, a move Sweden Swedish courts have blocked. Okay. Choosing the Turkish embassy as a site for the Quran burning was thus a deliberate choice by Paladin. Okay. And lurking behind the scenes is the far right, the unequivocally anti-Muslim Sweden Democrats, who have not officially become part of the coalition, but are backing it from the outside, while watching this with satisfaction as many of their policies are implemented. The center-right government knows that if it offers too much solidarity to the Muslim community, it may end up pushing the neo-fascist Sweden Democrats to go even beyond the 20% uh, that they already attract. But while Sweden spars with Turkey, the government jostles with the far right. It is Sweden's Muslims who are again left out in the cold. Who is saying this? Who wrote this article? Farid Hafiz, a distinguished professor of global studies and senior researcher at Georgetown's The Bridge Initiative. All right, it was a good article. Let's see what else is going on here. Any comments to arrive from the stream so far? Tahira uh, is wondering why we're not boycott, boycotting Sweden. I think those boycotts, they tend not to work, to be quite honest with you. It's because like what emotion. am I going to boycott? It's emotional. Yeah. yeah. And, and how long does it last and what does it actually do? So, for example, like, what is it actually, what am I going to boycott? Uh, Ikea? <laughs> Did they actually do anything, though? Are we going to just boycott everything? Yeah, it's possible, but boycott citizens me. can't stop this stuff. Boycott. Countries. Boycott Ryan. <laughs> am I going to fire Ryan? <laughs> um, boycott Sweden. Yeah, so what, where, does, where do these, these things, where do they go, if you know what I mean? All right, let's see what else. The Wi-Fi is a bit slow today for some reason, which is weird. Okay. So, yeah, we did have boycotts in the past, but it's just the question of what's the effectiveness of the boycott. And maybe it makes a Muslim feel good, but the global economy, if you're going to really hurt somebody, you got to find, like, who's selling them gas, for example? Qatar, Saudi. That's where it's going to hurt, right? Stop selling, raise the price on them for, for some. And then it, things don't work even that like that, right? Because you know that, let's say I, I work for the government, right? And I'm responsible for acquiring, I'm responsible for the contract with, with let's say, Qatar, right? For, for gas. As soon as this thing happens, don't you think I'm going to call my contact right away and make sure he's not upset, Right? Like, I'm going to try to smooth it over. And this contract is a result of, like, six, seven years relationship, sometimes 20 years relationship, right? So I'm going to be, you're going to, it's, it, 
is really hard to actually um, get these get an effective boycott going. An effective boycott to me, it has to be on at a government level. If you know what I mean, huh? Gaddafi was the only one crazy enough to actually be effective. To be quite honest with you, because it was Majnun. I think sometime when 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 the when the people rebelled against him at one point, he quelled the rebellion and he punished them by making TV black and white. <laughs> Guy was just Majnun. It was such a majnoon. All right, let's see this. And by and by the way, I mean, if the Muslims really want to want to stop this thing, then next time that there is such a thing, make someone feel pain. If you don't like it, this the way to stop something from happening is pain, physical pain. Make someone feel pain. Get a, a charge for assault and battery, right? Spend a couple nights in jail. And your friends and your organization will bail you out. You go to court. You'll be found guilty. But it's not like a major crime. You just beat someone up. That's if you get caught, too. Wear a mask. Wear a hatta, Philistini, right? Go in, 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 in place some pain in his body so he goes home regretting what he did. Like that. That's how simple it is. Not, I'm not encouraging crime. I'm just telling you what works. Does anyone mess with the mafia, for example? There's a reason. You're going to feel pain. Pain is a wonderful mover. So effective. The effectiveness of pain is probably 99.99%. That it will move, it will influence you. The greatest influencer of all time is pain. So, as long as the guy's not feeling pain, no boycott's going to bother anybody. Okay. The high representative, uh, now we're going to turn to Al Jazeera. Jazeera is talking about the United Nations. The high representative of the UN Alliance of Civilizations has condemned the burning of the Muslim book by a Swedish-Danish far-right politician as a vile act. Now, let me tell you this. This thing is, a, it's not just a Quran, it's Sweden versus Turkey. Turkey and Qatar are aligned. Saudi, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Egypt, and Israel are essentially one group. Let's just see if the hypothesis that somebody told me is correct, that Saudi will come out with a statement supporting free speech. Let's just see. To be anything against Turkey. It's just like Andalus. Why did Andalus, why was Andalus lost? Right? Andalus was lost because the Muslims behaved like this. They had parties amongst themselves and they supported, um, their, they would support the the, 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 the crusaders against their own Muslim party to win over the dunya. Rasmus Paladin, leader of the Danish far-right political party Hardline, carried, carried out the stunt outside the Turkish embassy in Sweden under the protection of local police on Friday. Okay, but the protection, they're not going to go home with them, right? So you hang around, you wait until the protest's over. And you follow him home. Okay. You don't want to hurt the guy? Okay. His car. Bother him. You know, tires are very expensive these days. They are. Like, four, you'll be paying four digits if you need to get all four new tires. Right? Tires, 
windows, things that it's a low-level crime. It's easy to get away with. Pain, financial pain. If not physical pain, financial pain. I'm not saying anyone should go do this. I'm saying that's what's effective. Okay. While the high representative stresses the importance, the high representative is the name of this UN body. It stresses the importance of upholding the freedom of expression as a fundamental human right. He also emphasizes that the act of Quran burning amounts to an expression of hatred towards Muslims. So again, this is very similar to the painting of the Prophet, but this is the flip side. If someone was to give a lecture on why they believe the Quran is wrong, okay, we would say that is an un-Islamic thing. But nobody would bat an eye that this lecture goes on in Western Europe. So it's one thing to say your opinion that you don't like something or that you don't believe in something or you're against something. That's one thing. Do you think in Darat Islam, when the Christians and Jews were able to have their houses of worship and they were able to preach to, the, to themselves, that their priests and their rabbis were not give, teaching the next generation why the Quran is wrong? Of course they did, right? As long as it's in private. Here, so in Europe, it's not going to be a surprise someone gives a talk why we shouldn't, you know, why Islam has got issues, blah, blah, blah. We expect that. So opinion that is un-Islamic is very different from hate. And this is the opposite extreme now, the opposite side. Uh, by the way, I mean, it seems like we're getting everything wrong. The un-Islamic one, the, the un-Islamic but not Islamophobic. She got fired. This guy is clearly full of hate and he's supported. We got, both of them got him, got him wrong. So, a spokesperson of uh, a spokesperson for Miguel Marantinos, I guess he's the head of the High Commission or whatever, uh, said this. Okay, this is hatred towards Muslims, and hatred towards Muslims, I think, is any time that a hateful uh, language is reaches this crescendo, it's not good for a society. It is disrespectful and insulting to the adherents of Islam and should not be conflated with freedom of expression. Uh, Moratinos, who heads a UN agency that describes itself as devoted to promoting understanding across diverse communities, said he was concerned about the rise in discrimination, intolerance, and violence directed against members of many religious and other communities in various parts of the world. He called for the building of mutual respect and promotion of inclusive and peaceful societies. Racist action. Shortly after Paladin burned a copy of the Quran, Turkey's foreign prime foreign minister, Mauloud uh, Kavasolo, condemned Swedish authorities for failing to ban the protests. It's a racist action. It's not about freedom of speech. Arab countries, Saudi, Jordan, Kuwait, have also denounced the stunt. Oh, good. I was proven wrong. They denounced the stunt, as well as other Muslim-majority countries, such as Pakistan and Somalia. Pakistan, Muslim-majority? Like ninety nine percent Muslim, all countries founded on Islam. I think they do have some Christians though. Allowing this hateful act that insults Islamic sanctities and values is completely unacceptable. Somalia's foreign ministry said in a statement on Monday, "It's nothing but a demagogic practice that promotes hatred and racism, and serves the agendas of extremism and terrorism." In a post on Twitter, Swedish Prime Minister Ulf Christensen. 
said that while freedom of expression was a fundamental part of democracy, what is legal is not necessarily appropriate. Such a two-way speech, honestly. Such a political talk that just bothers you, if you know what I mean. Right? It's just annoying as heck. This kind of double speak that yeah, politicians do. What's the, what's going on over here? Uh, Ryan's laughing. Uh, uh, I'm trying... Yes. Oh, the set of he's got you, Karen Lindsay. Shake Fozan. The set of he's got you. Okay. Not good. Um. The judgment of actions is not based upon if you can find in a book that a companion did it. That's not how an action is judged. Actions are judged based upon the purpose of the sharia, but also the text of the Quran and hadith. Would they support it? This, because the first, the, the, the first methodology is that I would not move a finger unless a companion did it, would require the companions to have done everything. No. The Qur'an and the Sunnah, the Prophet ﷺ, have taught us the fundamentals of everything. And the Sahaba did some of them. They didn't do all of them. They didn't do everything. The companions are not the noblest and best of generations because they did everything. The companions are the best generation because of their piety, their belief in the Prophet, their sacrifice, the purity of their intention. Okay. So just keep that in mind. When we want to do something or not do something, we weigh that against the Sharia. The sources of the Sharia being the Qur'an and the Hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, and analogy and consensus. Consensus upon what? Upon interpretive texts. Okay. If the Sahaba did something, that is not the source of legislation. It will be, yes, it will be a, a, a maybe a good deed if the Sahaba did something. If a situation never existed... For the companions to make a decision about it, no problem. Not every situation has existed in the time of the Prophet so that the companions could do something. All right, so be very careful all right, um, uh, of who you're studying from because you are just repeating and spouting basic uh, not even sophisticated Salafi stuff. Very fundamental Salafi things, so be very careful, right? Now, I don't even know if you are Karen Lindsay, that, well, who you are, okay? Fine, she is Karen Lindsay. But I would not... She says, all the new, newly invented matters are in hell. What about posting on YouTube? Is that a newly invented matter? Okay, or did it exist in the time of the Sahaba? Which one? All newly invented matters that are in contradiction with the Prophet's teachings. Yes. Whoever brings it, a good matter gets the reward of that. And whoever brings a bad matter gets the reward of that. Whose interpretation of this? Imam al-Shafi. In Bayhaqi's biography of Imam al-Shafi, he defines how, he writes how a shafi defined bid'ah. Innovation. Bayhaqi is very important in the Shafi school. 
Imam al-Bayhaqi is is the the follower. He he came after Shafi, but he clarified a lot of what a Shafi left blank by looking at Shafi's understanding of things and coming up. One of the things the Shafi's definition of an innovation is that it is a new matter that contradicts Islamic teachings. That's what an innovation is. Okay? It is a new matter that contradicts the teachings of the Prophet, the teachings of the Quran. And that's why the other great Shafi'i scholar, Izz ibn Abdul Salam, who was a giant of Syria, was expelled from Syria for forbidding the wrong against the governor there, was welcomed in Egypt with open arms and allowed to live the rest of his life there. He said that innovations are of five categories. We judge every innovation on the Quran against the Quran. So putting the Quran up as an app, a searchable app. Okay? Or having tarawih in a jama'ah. Or having multiple mosques in the same city. This was unheard of too. Like Juma, Juma mosques, central mosques. And, or having multiple Jumas in the same mosque. Or including the companions in the Salah on the Prophet. Okay. We say, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Correct or incorrect? There is not mentioned once in the first generation of Islam. The Prophet never said that. He only put alihi. And it does not just mean his family, it means everybody. But if you put the ad and the sahb, it specifies the companions and the ad um, becomes his family. So all of these innovations are between good innovations. You get good deeds from doing them. Or they're obligatory innovations. You have no choice. We park cars. How are we going to pray Jummah? Cars take up a lot of space. Buildings are small. The population has out... Uh, grown the the building so we have one and two and three and four jumas in one mosque that is an innovation if there ever was one however it's a necessary innovation you have no choice okay so this is what you need to understand um what an innovation is so Karen Lindsay, I highly recommend you go to arcview.org and take the Aqidah class and take a fit class. Okay. Highly recommended. <clears throat> Burning books that are holy to many is deeply disrespectful. A group of protesters gathered outside the Swedish embassy in Ankara over the weekend to decry Quran burning. In Bangladesh, people also demonstrated. In April, Paladin announced a Quran burning tour during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. All right, so listen. You're not treating it the right way. Take this issue to the most, to the most logical conclusion. That will force people to recognize the difference between expression and hate. And not just hate, okay, but provocation. There's a big difference between expression and provocation, okay? There's a big difference, all right? 
but I do have some good words for Karen. She went, she learned, she practiced what he preached. Is that a joke or is it true? Huh? It's true, right? The behavior is not the behavior of a 45, 50-year-old woman who would probably be more mature than that. But truth be told, um, to practice what he preached. They, they taught him that uh, you got to forbid the wrong and every innovation is a uh, misguidance. And he went into telling everybody. All right, let's go to Five Pillars UK and see what we have here before we go open to the open QA today because we didn't do open QA for two, week, two days. Ryan, what else we got here? Islam viewpoint on psychology. Psychology is extremely important in Islam. We may not call it that, but we do have you know, the, the, messenger's, the messenger, his consideration of people's emotional states and their mental health, what we today call mental is it's all over the book. There's and a book from Sheikh Mikhail Ahmed Smith, right? Yes, Sheikh Mikhail Ahmed Smith's book is all about that. And we also have a concept here, too, that... Um, the greatest of all rewards is in emotional health, which is what, what, what are human beings looking after? Human beings are, are, are seeking at, uh, and chasing after. Are we not all chasing after uh, uh, serenity in our hearts? Everyone who wants anything in, the tru- in truth, he wants serenity. That's in truth. He just imagines that this is what's going to give me the serenity. Like that perf- perfect feeling of peace. Okay? When you look out in nature and you look at a sunset and it's just like, you see it's at, and it's at peace. Nature is always at peace. It's a creation of Allah is always at peace. It's in a perfect state of harmony and happiness. And so, and that's what you get when you look at it. But we want that on the inside. Everyone who's chasing anything, career, food, wealth, women, men, whatever you're chasing, you're, in, in fact, chasing serenity. That's what you're truly chasing. You've got to understand that. Let's go to five pillars and see what they're saying. Muslim parents vow to remove kids from school unless LGBT concerns are addressed. Interesting. This is just, just today published. Muslim parents in Redbridge, East London, say they will pull their children out of schools unless LGBT content is introduced in a way that respects the religious and cultural background of their kids. Look at the Overton window as Moin loves to quote the Overton window. Do you know what that Overton window is? It's basically like this. It's like this. That uh, extreme, the extreme is seven. The other extreme is one. Okay? Just imagine. Now some guy comes in and he says, no, 15. And we go crazy, right? No, it's 15. That's way beyond seven, right? So then we all as a society say, fine, 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 nine, right? Nine is the new extreme. So 
we're now at two, three, and nine. Instead of one and seven, we start at one and seven. Look what the title says. They say now, okay, the title says here, Muslim parents in Redbridge, they will pull their children out if, unless the LGBT content is introduced in a way that is respectful to us. You see that? So they've capitulated that there's going to be qawmiluts everywhere. But do it in a way that respects our religion. So that's what's, what is, is a perfect example of moving that Overton window. Someone, Moin loves the Overton window. Let's do a test. Every time that we have a discussion with Moin, let's see, without saying anything, if he's going to mention the Overton window. Okay? And I, I, I would say that 75%, he's going to say, the Overton window has shifted. <laughs> but now you understand what the Overton window is. Now, this demand was made in a report by Parents United, which was formed in 2020 in response to concerns about relationship and sex education, RSE, taught in schools. RSE now, relationship and sex education. Should not be taught at all. Just teach math algorithms, teach how to read a book, how to analyze a book, maybe history, okay? Because, of course, there's slants in that. Teach a coding language and send them home. I don't want you to teach anything that touches on morals. Parents United held a conference in November last year when complaints were raised from Muslim parents about schools ignoring faith sensitivity while teaching topics under RSC in which, in some cases, went beyond RSC requirements. You got a lot of Daisy kids in school. Why don't you teach like when you get married? Where do you live? Do you live at his mom's house, his dad's house? Like that's something that actually touches the lives of many Daisies. Uh, every couple months, somebody comes and says, uh, "In Islam, do I have to live in my parents' house? Because I'm marrying a woman. She wants us to have our own apartment. Like this is something that actually touches the lives of people. Why don't you bring an expert and discuss it in the schools?" an expert from the community. I mean, there's a lot of things that touch the, a Desi Muslim's life, and there are tw- 10, 20% of these school districts. Uh, Parents United demanded launch fresh consultations with the involvement of the community. That's exactly what I just said, right? Members of the actual community, like the imam of the local mosque, come in for five weeks uh, on th- in fifth period to discuss how how did someone get married in Islam? Things like that. Okay, what does sexuality look like in Islam? They got ten and fifteen percent populations in these schools. Show and agree all resources with parents before introduction into the classrooms. Yeah, because this is a moral matter. This is not knowledge. It's not knowledge. It's not qat'i, definitive knowledge like English grammar, coding, math. Definitive knowledge. This is all up for grabs. It's up for discussion. It's up for belief systems. Be transparent when and how RSE is taught and the weighting of attention given to LGBT and other protected characteristics. Encourage children to debate a range of controversial issues without presenting one view as correct. Problem is with these people, they're talking common sense. Common sense has fled the coop a long time ago. 
Parents United are also demanding that the local council launch a review of materials allowed in schools under safeguarding and grooming concerns. The Parents United report outlines several incidents in schools and local libraries that have caused great concern to Muslim parents. This includes... Are you kidding me? Oh my goodness. I'm not even going to read it. Well, I have to read it because I'm, I'm here with you all here. A... Okay, it's a sex toy, basically. Brought into children's reading time in libraries. And they are informed what it is. Okay? It's a sex toy, basically. Why, when these children don't even know how to go to the bathroom? By the way, me and Ryan, we teach elementary schools. Kids, Sundays. They don't know how to go to the bathroom. I don't know what's going on in the homes. Fourth and third and fifth grade, kids. They're not, they're not potty trained. We have to do potty training. Okay? Teach them what Najaz is. They're not even not potty trained. You're giving them sex toys? A Muslim LGBT activist picked as a female role model on International Women's Day. A child reprimanded and punished for expressing views that there are only two biological sexes. You got to pull your kids from these ridiculous schools. An 11-year-old upset and traumatized by exposure to sexual intercourse and arousal taught in science wow you're teaching arousal to an 11 year old pull your kids from these ridiculous demonic schools why are they even they're preaching this nonsense what is what business is this to have in a school give me math coding and english and call it a day parents of children who did not join an lgbt after school club were called in and questioned why did they not join Pull your kids out of these LGBT schools. The report concluded continuing to inadequately address parents' concerns about the protection of these rights will lead to a deterioration in community relations and seem to contradict the moral and legal principles schools and the councils are supposed to uphold. If parents are not given these rights and are left no choice but to pull their children out of school... In order to secure these rights, their children are being denied equal opportunity and access to education. Then they should sue, and they shouldn't pay taxes. All right, taxes to go to these schools? To reiterate, we believe schools should respect the diversity of opinions on sexuality and relationships among the families in our community. This includes opinions grounded in faith and the opinions of those who do not ascribe to an organized faith. We're equally appalled by the sexualized content in schools. The teaching of these sensitive topics should not present any view of personal morality as correct. If you're going to present anything, present all of them with a straight face, without supporting one and not, and not the other. Of course, that's never going to happen, because these schools are composed of human beings. Human beings have hearts. Hearts have leanings. You can't get rid of them. As of yet, all evidence we have seen suggests a one-sided narrative. Okay? Clarification is never adequately responded to because they're zealots. Don't you get it? You're never changing these people. They are zealots. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Remember that guy? You remember that meme? While schools have a statutory duty to promote diversity and good relationships between communities, this can only be achieved by encouraging genuine diversity of perspectives 
We argue it is disrespectful and unhelpful to tell or to imply to children that the religious values they learn at home are bigoted or phobic simply for having different views on relationships to those of others in our society. Tolerance and respect should be reciprocated. You're talking to a wall. Okay, you're talking to a wall. These people's hearts are set. You're not changing them. Always look at where the heart is, not what the words are. The Department of Education has responded. The Department of Education said pupils should be taught about society in which they're growing up. And subjects are designed to foster respect for others and for difference in educa- and educate peoples about healthy relationships. Tell me, tell me, when you get off at Heathrow Airport, do you see more transgender people or more Indian people? When you get out at Terminal 4, Terminal 6, in Heathrow Airport, do you see more gay people walking around looking gay? Or do you see more Sikh people? Hindu people, Pakistani people, Bengali people, clearly looking Muslim, okay? Clearly looking Muslim guys, clearly looking gay guys. You've never been to London then. You've never been to England. Personal experience. And there's plenty of British people here to confirm that. I, I get down uh, from uh, uh, into, into Heathrow Airport. I come out. It's a Muslim country. It's, I'm telling you, it's, that's, like, that's the feeling that you get. I go in, the guy at the, the first guy who's directing you and says the baggage is that way or transits that way, he's a Muslim. I move on, got other guy checking the bags. There's three guys. One of them is a Muslim with a big beard. The guy looks like, um, you know, one of these guys that you'll see in, the, in, the, in, in any Muslim jama'ah, okay? And I ask him, where do you pray Salah? And he said, oh, they're, they're going to... The guy's in a uniform, Heathrow Airport uniform. He's like, oh, the Jama'ah is going to start in a little bit. There's going to be employees. They have a Jama'ah. We meet up at that time. And the Musallah is right around the corner. I go to the Musallah. It's packed. In Heathrow Airport. It's packed. I'm telling you, packed. Right? Like, it's so packed, they had to actually physically put a, a physical barrier because the, the, the men and women would have, like, been squ- squished together. And that not one Jama'ah. It's like... Haram. One jama'ah, following the next jama'ah, following the next jama'ah, following the next jama'ah. It's like you'll always pray jama'ah. Because as soon as one jama'ah leaves, right, they push that, la- the, then the stragglers, the one, let's say the guy who's masbuq, masbuq means he came in on the third rakah of the imam. He's praying his two rakahs. They push him up. Then they pray. People keep coming. All right. The third, the guy comes late to that. By the time everyone leaves, he's the imam of the next, so on and so forth. So if it's truly about that, then why don't you ever teach about all these subcontinental people? How they live. Shouldn't you teach the culture of Pakistanis, culture of Indians, how they live in their countries? When you go into a Pakistani's house, take your shoes off. Don't extend your hand to shake his wife's hand. Okay, You should teach all these things. Of course, we're talking to a wall, as I said. This is just all theory, but the truth is, where are people's hearts? These people's hearts, they love this gay stuff. That's where it's going. The government ministry said, the statutory relationship and sex education guidance is clear that schools should take account of other religious backgrounds and all pupils when teaching. So the topics are included in the core content are appropriate 
uh, and appropriately handled. All schools may teach about faith perspectives and a balanced debate may take place about issues that are seen as contentious. Ultimately, it is for schools to decide how they teach the RSE curriculum, but they are accountable for what they teach. It is for schools to decide what resources they use. Okay, They should use what is factual, age-appropriate, and in line with their legal duties. We believe most schools are engaging with parents effectively. We recognize the concerns some parents have. Don't recognize. But what did you do with it? Again, political talk, nonsense. Following discussions... In the House of Lords last summer, ministers met a small group of parents to better understand their concerns about this issue. Further to this, the examples you have referenced in your report will also help to inform future thinking. The department has also committed to write to all schools to remind them of their responsibility to share materials with parents and clarify what the law allows them to share. Okay. A bunch of nice words that's not going to go anywhere if you think it's going to go anywhere you're naive i'm sorry to tell you that uh the department has plans to monitor the rse over time including measures measuring teacher confidence blah 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 another article that came out i like this one but i don't like the punishment Pakistan plans to punish the cursing of the prophet's wives and the cursing of the Sahaba with at least 10 years of prison. Where are the lashes? This was a great chance to do the right thing. But fine, 10 years in prison, fine. I would have said lashes, maybe even capital punishment. But they want to do something different, fine. Let's read the article. The punishment is part of the Criminal Laws and Amendment Act of 2023. Right, it was passed unanimously last week, even though there was not a quorum. Under the new legal changes, sentences for those convicted of insulting the Prophet's wives, companions, or close, close relatives could, be, uh, could extend to life, along with a fine of 1 million rupees. How much is a rupee to a dollar? Or like... Yeah. Pack sixty bucks. <laughs> yeah. He said like his his grandparents or his his relatives would like give him money. Yeah. And like they would give him like like two thousand rupees. It's like eight bucks. Oh my god, two thousand. Go get yourself a um, coffee. <laughs> okay. Pakistani law already prescribes capital punishment if you insult the Prophet. Great law. That's the Indian rupee. Let's go to the Pakistani rupee. So, uh, $4,000? A million rupees is $4,300. Wow. Pakistani law, uh, it, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. All right, the parliamentary parliament's duty speaker, Zahid Durrani, called this legislation historic, and he congratulated the lawmakers. I congratulate them as well, but the punishment's not harsh enough, in my opinion. Ten years in jail, and every Monday you get lashed. Fine. That's fine. First of the month. The punishment for disrespecting these sacred personalities were almost nil earlier says one lawmaker. 
Jahangir Muhammad says, okay, anti-hate laws in Pakistan are necessary. We don't have the same worldview as European and American countries. God is true. That is the foundation of the nation. Islam is true. That is the foundation of our reality. Okay. The Prophet Muhammad is the creator's messenger. That's the foundation of our reality. Therefore, our epistemology is going to be that law is taken from God's book first and his messenger's teachings. That's the first source and then other sources after that. Okay? So that's our reality. So I hope everyone in the world should be applauding this democratically approved uh, new law. All societies need laws that promote social harmony. Okay? And outlaw inciting people's sacred beliefs incitement against their sacred beliefs pakistan has lots lots of issues relating to sectarian and religious hatred from sunni and shia so some kind of religious incitement laws are necessary to maintain peace and harmony and to clamp down on the worst excesses and i'd rather have modern anti-hate laws than antiquated british era blasphemy laws call it what you want to call it he added, but obviously given that this is Pakistan and laws are often used for political vendettas and score settling, laws have to be a proportionate and properly applied and not used for political purposes. On the other hand, the Pakistan's Dawn newspaper expressed concern that the law would be open to misuse and could be used to target Shia Muslims in particular. Well, don't curse the Sahaba in public then. Go home and, and do whatever you, your stupidity there. It said, instead of curbing sectarianism, the law will likely be weaponized disproportionately against religious minorities and sects. Okay, you're living in a Muslim country. So don't say these things in public then. For example, by passing such legislation, even an informed discussion on Islamic history within the bounds of respect may be misinterpreted by some as an affront to revered personalities. While derogatory remarks against the Holy Prophet and his wives are unacceptable, expanding the ambit through vaguely worded laws can lead to misuse of legislation. The fact is that confessional differences have existed in the Muslim world for 14 centuries and views... Okay, things existing does not make them right. Existing for a long time doesn't make something right. The views of any one group cannot be imposed on all. Of course it can be, if it's the truth. Obviously, you're not going to make people believe, but you can stop them from offending. In order to eliminate sectarianism, it should be the responsibility of Shia and Sunni ulama to preach tolerance and advise their flocks not to indulge in toxic polemics. Instead of passing debatable laws, the state needs to crack down on violent hate mongers, Indeed, it is hoped that better sense in the Senate. This is some secular person writing this. As many as 4,000 people are estimated to have been killed in Shia Sunni sectarian attacks in the last 30 years. One significant aspect of the attacks in Pakistan is that militants often target Sunnis and then Shia target uh, them back. Uh, Shia And then Shia are targeted back. All right. And they try to use prayer times to maximize, okay, casualties. Let us now turn to your comments and your questions and everything else related. The, 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 the Jama'ah this year 
this this week has gotten such little uh, question time. Okay, but we have forty minutes now. Forty minutes to open up for Q and A related to these subjects, but um, doesn't have to be. SR says, it's actually a good reason in itself to break the habit of bad language, lest we slip up uh, purely out of habit. I have no doubt you mean no disrespect. I think they're talking to each other here. Laylatul Raghaib. What does that mean? Never heard of it. Uh, maybe they're talking about the nights in which du'a is answered. First of Rajab, night before the two Eids, Laylat al Nisfim and Shaban. Okay. Yeah, those those are the five nights. Nights before the two Eid, Laylat al Nisfim and Shaban. Night before Rajab, the first of Rajab. What's that? What else? Thursday night. Of course, Laylat al-Qadr. Of course, Laylat al-Qadr. That's a big one. Every Thursday night, which which is called Laylat al-Jum'ah. Night before the two Eids. Yeah. That's five. And then, that's five and uh, in the, um, once a year. And then, Thursday night. Every night. Every week. Mm. Okay, I don't know about that specifically. Yeah. Question here says, or comment, we need to have open dialogue with our children and discuss the matters with them. It's needed more now than ever. And not, not only that, it's you're going to have discussions. You also have to tell them what is the state of our ummah. Listen, we're part of an ummah right now that it's uh, a lot of things against us. Why are there a lot of things against us? Because our forefathers lost wars. And the Prophet has to show us his truthfulness at a time of weak faith. He has a lot of signs of the Day of Judgment. Now there's one of the signs that's most amazing. Mike, the, the, the teen kids could not believe what they were hearing when I taught this. The hadith of the Prophet says that the Dajjal will come down. He will be blind, he will be blind to one eye, it'll be covered over. He will travel the world. The Sahaba said, how will he travel the world in 40 days? The Prophet ﷺ, he said, he will mount a beast with eyes all along its sides that will jump into, from, into the clouds. Will jump over the clouds and into the clouds. Okay, The kids almost, like, they were shocked. Like, this, like, perfect... And he said that it's between its, uh, its, its ears are 40 cubits. So it means it's very broad. Amazing that, I mean, the kids were like, that's it. Clearly it's an airplane. It's, it's obvious. Right? So we need to tell them that we're, we're in a struggle right now. Our religion, we're in a struggle. 
Because kids will, will look around. Okay, this is the truth, but our situation is bad. So you got to admit and just bring that to the forefront of the discussion. Your kids spend 40 hours or more at the public school. And that's why in Algeria, Morocco, Mauritania, they issued fatawa forbidding Muslim kids from going to the French schools. That was in the Muslim country, let alone in the non-Muslim country. You don't see a problem with using inappropriate language in the same sentence as mentioning Rasulullah. Of course it is. Who, who would differ with that? Who would differ with that? Paris now has a massive Muslim population too. That there, Chances are, if you're a French person, your great-grandkids, there's a greater chance that your great-grandkids will be a Muslim than you ever seeing France return to the great old, good old days of all whites and no Muslims. Um, Tahir Omar brings up the issue of homeschooling the kids need to interact that's why if you do homeschooling you gotta do it like 2-3 hours and then they gotta like go get a, a, a mentorship or, or sport play be part of a league for sports go help someone what do they call it back in the day not a mentorship but where you go into like a profession and you be an assistant, apprenticeship. apprenticeship. Also, like the a lot of the interactions that happen in school are like this is where people learn negative things. Yeah, it's bad interactions. Yeah. Most like most of the things that people learn in these school interactions are the negative things, and yeah. the positive things you learn from family mm-hmm. and you learn from like sports and teamwork and extracurricular things. Anyways. Yeah, you're you're gonna learn everything bad. You're gonna how to make fun of people. Everything. Yeah. yeah. I I remember when I was in school, what you learned in order just to stay alive, it was so vicious, was how to make fun of people, right? Because you have to make fun of them before they make fun of you. You got to put them down. You got to hurt them. That was like the mentality. You have to hurt this person before he hurts you. If he turns out to be nice, fine. But um, apprenticeships, sports, and then come down to the masjid. It's actually, you can, it could be a full life. Just the morning will be a bit boring. That's all. Khadija A says it's going to be called England Stan soon, very much. That's true. Birmingham Stan is already there. Okay. Yeah, it's London that's like 15%. It's not, it's, it's, what I mean by that, it's the amenities are there for a Muslim. Because you have such a minority, but the minorities are packed though. That's the feeling. It's not like 6.5%, this, this person says that it's 6.5% Muslim, right? It's not a lot. But the way that they're, they're not spread out, the way they're packed in together gives you an image that uh, this place is like, uh, all the amenities are there. So you go to Birmingham, there's going to be an area there, everything is halal. You, you, you can live there your whole life, Right, and never feel that you're an outsider because they they live together. Whereas in America, we had we didn't have multiculturalism. We had the melting pot. Multiculturalism is that all right? There's a German area, Turkish area, Seven Sisters, Moroccan area, Westbourne Park, 
Like New York has that actually. New York has that. Yeah, like there's there's an Italian section, Chinese section, etc. But in England they did that. That's how people lived. Um, East London. What is it? Something green. It's all Bengali. So they have these sections like that throughout England to the point that you feel like you're almost in, not, in, not, not in Europe in some of these places. Didi says if Muslims homeschool, they have to teach about these subjects too from an Islamic perspective. Totally agree. And at a certain age, you know. Um... Jay Perez says the benefits outweigh the cons of Muslim school. Early years should be groomed in a Muslim environment, even if the secondary education suffers a bit. We supplement it at home, no problem. There are Muslim home ed groups everywhere. And plus, there are, with the internet today, there's almost no excuse, no, no excuse right? It's easy. And I suggested to a group in Connecticut. I'm going this Friday, inshallah, back to them. Oh, hey, right. Any of the guys want to go? Okay. We'll all go together. Same night. Oh, no, no, you're going to miss that. You'll miss the youth night, yeah. It's all evening. But I said, look, this is how you do it. You you all sign up for the the one of the online Islamic schools. Like Legacy is an online Islamic school. Okay. You all sign up for that. You will then the parents get together. What you would have paid in tuition, you you pay rent to the masjid, and you pay to hire a couple administrators. Okay. What what is the job of the administrator? The job of the administrator, you all come to the masjid, the desks will be out, the administrator will put out tables, okay, put out some food, and schedule things. And then the kids will take breaks at the same time. They'll go out outside, play some basketball. They'll take school trips. They'll take trips together. But they'll all be homeschooling in the masjid at the same time. What's going on in a masjid at 9 a.m.? Right? It's empty space. So now you can convert it into a homeschooling learning center. And you just pay an administrator. Right? So the parents could go to work. Drop the kids off. Right? Drop the kids off at the masjid. And from 9 a.m. to, let's say, Dhuhr, they'll be taking um, their own classes, every kid with his own laptop, taking their classes with their earbuds in. Then they could, you, you, as, you could supplement this. You could have, let's say, maybe a, the imam could teach a Quran, a, a class of deen. Then you could have ba- gym class, basketball, whatever. You could supplement the easy stuff, the social stuff. But the kid will not be sitting at home all day Bored out of his mind, right? <sighs> yeah. Uthman said, My plan is to get a bunch of guys. We pay to sponsor the visa of uh, Murabits and we, and we teach them. We bring them to teach our kids in, in New Jersey. Which Murabits? Just. Just a Mauritanian. Any Morabits? I think Uthman can become the Morabits maybe. I have a Morabits if you want one. You just teach all the yeah. kids. Mm-hmm. 
Talk to me, Ryan. Just said a random one who knows Khalil. Oh. <laughs> unmanned priorities. Yeah. All right, someone wants to know the difference between Tashbih and Tajseem. Tashbih and Tajseem, they're very similar, but Tajseem is more explicit. That's that's how I would look at it. They're both innovations, but Tajseem is explicit kufr. I saw a video. Yeah. I think we should address it just because it's literally like popular on YouTube. Maybe I should just show you real quick. Yeah, what's the video? Because it's... Uh, it's pretty like it's almost like mocking um, the uh, beliefs of the Hanabi. Mm. Abu Zar Sohail, Abu Dhar Sohail, he says homeschooling is a great idea, but it, it's all about the education of the parents. That's why we got to have this other alternative where you're going to outsource the education, but you all outsource the education in the same spot. Let's see. wrong with you two eyes demo justin game over okay no because what what shake at me has said about these guys yeah i think we need to focus on this part is that they fail to understand that you can't translate these Yes. It's not tenzi. It's not. I mean, it's not uh, tefweed if you translate it. That's yeah. A, that's an interpretation. It's the translation. A translation is an interpretation, because you, when you translate, you go to a dictionary. You go to a dictionary. It has many terms, and that's why there's qatsai verses, there are dhanni verses, and there are mutashabi verses. So, this person, man. It's like he's joking about it. Right? Yeah. Taking the matter, he's taken the mutashabihats and made that the forefront of his aqidah. That's what the Quran warns about. Bin Sulaiman says, Is it permissible to fast six days during Rajab? You fast any time you want in Rajab and Shaban. And fast a lot in Rajab and Shaban. As the Prophet said, he used to fast a lot in Rajab and Shaban. And he used to leave the last few days of Shaban and eat so that there could be a feeling of a break. And then you start your fast again. I highly recommend people to, to get their bodies used to the siyam. Now, before um, comes first day of Ramadan and we, and we can't do it, we got headaches, etc. Farouz says, what can we do individually during our everyday lives to prevent atheism within our community? Support all your Islamic institutions. Support all your Islamic teachers. Make sure your kids grow up loving Islam and learning about the deen. Okay. Start with that, and then the ball will get rolling. Okay. Anam Lodi says that teaching online, how boring it is. It is. It is. And during COVID, I'm not even joking with you, I actually taught online so much, I fell asleep during an Arabic class. While teaching, while talking. And I was asleep, and I realized I was saying things that had nothing to do with the class, that that's how much... Alone, that's how alone you were during COVID. Ta- teaching so much online, right, that I actually fell asleep in the class. Okay. 
Nazifa says this year they introduced transgenders as a positive thing in the national curriculum of Bangladesh. What? Bangladesh of all places. How much? Uh, Adam says how much daily time should we allot to recreation? An hour is a lot. Yeah. At the end of the day to unwind yourself. 30, 40, 50 minutes. Okay. Had enough says if a person has scars, and by the way, everyone's different. Like a single guy may go and play basketball in the gym. He might really need to exhaust himself because he's not married. He can't go and have intimacy, right? A married man doesn't need much recreation, unwinding himself, right? But a single guy needs to really like get that stuff out of his system. Had enough says, if a person has scars or skin imperfections, do they need to inform a potential spouse? No, unless it will gravely affect the intimacy, such that if a massive scar on a person's body that will that could make someone not be able to have intimacy, and even that, if they didn't do that, there's no sin against them because they could still reproduce, right? But if it's to the point that it would may affect their life together, then yes. Dawood Sanih, he says, I went to school in London and so did my kids and now they have grown up now, but I keep telling them they're going to have to homeschool their children. School is no longer an option. I'm not sending my kids to these people who, who are lovers of Qawmidut. Sorry to tell you that. Is there a Sharh of Al-Kharid Al-Bahiyya? Yes, there is a Sharh of Al-Kharid Al-Bahiyya and it's translated too. I teach it to the kids on Sunday. I teach it to some youth on Sunday. Uh, Akumezi says, my friend and I are in Arcview Basic Arabic. Where can we get the quizzes, champ? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know if I have those quizzes anymore. I would have to look them up. And then we'll put them up if I can find the quizzes. Chocolate Walla says, uh, you know, he's talking to somebody else. Okay. Hakanori says they need homeschooling in Pakistan. Big story there about drug culture and bullying at the Skardali International School in Lahore. When Omar ibn Khattab intimated that the women of Mecca were submissive but had changed due to the culture of the women of Medina, was it in jest or reality? No, it was in reality that in the women of the men of Mecca, these were merchants. They were, they had strong personalities. They were domineering and they dominated over the women. In Medina, the men were farmers. Farmers are nice and kind people. And the women had a lot of room and freedom to talk. And the Prophet Sayyidina Omar Khattab noticed change in his wife. that She's becoming like these women who are open with him and talking to him like that. So he did note that. But it was like he noted it. There's nothing else to say. I don't know what else he said about it except that he noted it. Muazzar says, is keeping bobbleheads on my desk haram. A bobblehead is when you go to a baseball game, they give you a doll of the player with a big head, and that head moves around like this. 
and yeah, uh, it will not be for permitted for an adult to keep something like that. I feel like we're sort of silly making even a ruling about it, but it would fall under a statue, and it's forbidden for that reason, and um, only for kids can play with that. Let kids play with that, not adults. Like if your kid has it and he puts it on his desk, if it's his, that's fine. Anyone uh, these days that has their makeup fasts, make them up now. Because if you owe fast from last Ramadan, and this Ramadan comes, and you didn't make them up yet, then you need to do qada plus fidya. You need to do fidya too. Remember what a fidya is. Fidya is a payment of money. It's in the form of... Well, you give it to a, somebody like a masjid. Just give it to your masjid. You need to feed one poor Muslim. That's what a fidya is. Feeding one poor Muslim. Now, you may not know how to do that, so you pay that money to a masjid. All right. What about a bobblehead for kids, but they don't play with it? They collect them. Kids are allowed to have statues. Collectors, items, whatever. But khalas, once you're an adult, you don't. Is it okay to have a shirt with a face on it? Yes, that's not a problem. A face is not three-dimensional, and it's not the full body, so it's not makru. Okay? Does listening to this count as recreation? No, or do I still have my hour? Yes, you still have your hour. <laughs> Could be more than an hour. It depends on how hard you work that day and, and, and what you have the next day and how much you need to unwind yourself. Jay Perez says, Sheikh Nuh, Quran translation, he also translates the mutashabih on their apparent word, and Sheikh Abdurrahman Yusuf translates uh, translation of Fiqh al-Akbar. What's the difference between what they do? Because the translation of the Quran is one thing, the utterance of a doctrine is another thing. Okay? You see? That video, he was saying it as a aqidah which is different than the translation of the Qur'an, right? And these guys are claiming, the people who do the, the first one, they're yep. claiming Hanbali fiqh, or Aqidah. Mm-hmm. And Sheikh Nuh is permissive of interpreting these verses in a way that's not the primary meaning. Yeah. Like, so it could, it could say hand, right, for instance, but not mean a, like a physical, mm-hmm. right? There's a te- wheel for that, even if it's the word hand. Right? And and don't we uh, say it all the time, right? Uh, seeking the face of God, or can you give me a hand with this? Yeah, and and, and also even when we translate these hadiths, Allah comes down to the last uh, sky, the the lowest sky. We say it as a hadith or a verse of Quran, translating it, but not as aqidah, right? So in the context of Aqidah is different. I hope that becomes clear. Does the Dajjal know that he is a villain that is destined to lose? I believe that they do know, but they're so clouded with hatred that their mind is no longer working properly. This is why Allah speaks about people who go against him and say, Do you not think, you think you're actually going to get anywhere with this? Is it true that Shafi was the greatest student of Malik 
and Ahmed was the greatest student of Shafi, and Bukhari was the greatest student of Ahmed. It is true that they were all students of each. A Shafi spent a lot of time with Madik. Madik like adopted him. Okay. But Madik had other students too. These students, one went his own independent way, had his own independent mind, that's a Shafi. And the other went and stuck with Madik's methodology. That's Abdurrahman bin Qasim. Abdurrahman bin Qasim, he is the sor- our source. Why? Because no one documented Madik's fatawa more than Abdurrahman bin Qasim. In a series of Q&As with first um, Asad ibn al-Furat and second Sahnun. Okay? So the primary source, the biggest primary source that we have of Madik's fatawa is called Mudawanat Sahnun, the documentation or the Mudawana, the, the 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 book of Sahnun. Sahnun, that book consists of a QA with Abdurrahman bin Qasim. Well, what did Madik say about this? What did he say about that? What did he say about this? What did he say about that? And Sahnun writing the answers down. Okay? That's what happened. That 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 is our primary source. We Muslims encourage using your brain. We don't believe in cults. We don't believe in ideological gangs. Okay? But use your brain with knowledge. Respect those who know. Ask them. Uh, know the limit of your own brain before you use it. That's why we read in this article and the, and the school was saying, oh, we're going to discuss different religious perspectives and debate them. What's a seventh? How is a seventh grader? You need to teach him the adab of the, the, the ways, not the adab, the ways of debating. You hear some of these stupid channels and they say, who was the greatest athlete, greatest football player ever? Oh, it was, it was um, Peyton Manning because his throw percentage was the best. Okay. No, it was Tom Brady because he has more Super Bowls. Okay. How are you guys adults? Decide first the methodology of this debate. What determines the greatest player? Super Bowls or season, in-season statistics? Which one is it? So that's why we encourage free thought, but thought is like driving. You're encouraged to drive, but drive safely. You're going to hurt somebody else. You're going to hurt yourself. There's no difference, okay? Drive all you want, but drive safely within lanes. If you don't know how yet to drive, then don't drive until someone teaches you. Same thing with thinking. So Shafi was a brilliant student of Matic, and he went his own way. Imam Ahmed was already a great scholar when Imam al-Shafi came and Imam Ahmed became a type of student to a shafi But it was not like Shafi formed Ahmed. No. Ahmed was already mature. Adult scholar. And he took Shafi as a, 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 someone he looked up to. And Bukhari did take hadith from Imam Ahmed but that was not his main teacher. But he did take hadith from Imam Ahmed. So there are links like that. Okay. Lily Rose says, is, is Fidya one time? Yes, it's only one time. So whether you missed one Ramadan, a whole year passed, or five years passed, it's Fidya is once. It doesn't add every year that you owed it. It doesn't tag on every year that you owed it. Women who didn't fast due to their 
monthly cycle, pregnancy, nursing, do they have to pay fidya as well as make up the pass, the fast? Only if a full year passes. If the next Ramadan comes in, then yes. But if you broke your fasts solely for the reason of somebody else's health, then whether a year passed or not, you owe qada plus fidya. And there, again, I'm going to repeat that. Some people have to break their fast, not for themselves, but for somebody else. Like who? A pilot, right? If, if a pilot has a takeoff is at 2 p.m., he wakes up at home for Fajr. So, he, so he's, he's bound to fast that whole day, right? He must fast that whole day. But he comes in, he's got flying from L.A., and he's flying west, so he's flying away from the sun. So he's going to go a long time. If he now feels, and he's, he owes that day, even if he's traveling, because he woke up in his hometown. If he then starts feeling dizzy, and, oh, I'm about to crash the plane, right? He eats. Who else? A surgeon will eat, break his fast. When? Only after he starts feeling that he can't fulfill his responsibilities anymore. He can't keep his patients safe anymore. So when you break your fast for the sake of somebody else, then you owe qada plus fidya. Okay? I hope that answers the question. Uh, when do you start paying zakah? Says Muazzar. As soon as you have enough money that passes something that's called the nisab. Let's go and check what the nisab is today. There's a website called eNisab that is constantly tracking the uh, the, the value of the dollar and the nisab. Okay, so where is eNisab? What happened to this website? I think Musa, someone we know, established this website. The Nisab this year, of course, the dollar is always fluctuating, so we have to know what the Nisab is. Nisab is the limit. Once you pass this amount of money, if that money, not only is just did you pass it, oh, Ryan's going to look it up for us. Did you find it? What the Nisab is? Yeah. Once the wealth is past that Nisab and... And one year has passed and that wealth has just been sitting there. Zakat is paid on st- stagnant wealth. Okay? Zakat is paid on stagnant wealth, not on income. Wealth just has been sitting there. After one year of that money just been sitting there and it's passed the Nisab, the Nisab which is Zakat of Singapore, is that the American dollar? Yeah. Okay. That the um then you pay zakat upon it. Okay? We'll get you the we'll get it to you. Okay.
All right, now let's go to the next question. Okay, listen, he says, I mentioned Sheikh Abdurrahman's translation specifically because it's a Aqidah text. Well, if he's just translating the Nas, still what you're going to look at is what is he saying as a Aqidah point. Remember that that video that we just played? The guy saying Allah has a foot. That's a Aqidah claim. The translation of the Nas is what matters, right? Uthman says, Ibn al-Qasim came back to Egypt with 10 camels carrying what he wrote down about Imam Malik. SubhanAllah. Ta'weeth with digits and grids. I don't use those things unless it has Quran that is known, hadith that is known. How do you dispose of it? Allahu Alam, to be honest with you. I don't like getting into that world. Ask somebody else. Uh, Jay Perez, is it inconsistent in who's doing what and who's accused of this and that? No, not at all. Not at all. When you translate something, if you're translating a nas, does not mean that that's what you're affirming. Okay? But that's what he is affirming. So that's the, that's the difference. Like uh, in translation, you know what I don't like to do? I don't like to do idgham in translation, right? I like to just put the word as it is. When you, tra- I'm sorry, in transliterating, transliterating. For example, mujib rahman I would write mujib al rahman because in the Arabic, what do we write? Alif lam. We don't write mim jim ya ba alif ra. Mujibur Rahman or Wawra or something like or Dhammara. No. We write El Rahman, but we don't pronounce it that way. So likewise, we should write it, transliterate it as it's said. What's the best dhikr for Rajab? La ilaha Someone has been asking for a tafsir. It simply means the truth is what I have brought with, brought, and the truth is what I say. Abdul Hadi is asking, is Ibn al-Qasim the Maliki equivalent of Abu Yusuf and al-Shaybani? That is correct. And Abu Yusuf studied with Abu Hanifa, uh, sorry, Shaybani studied with Abu Hanifa and Malik. Abu Yusuf studied with Abu Hanifa and never studied with Malik. He met Malik many times, and they actually had back and forth that were not pleasant. Like, Abu Yusuf was not very respectful. Like, Harun al-Rashid, we used to make Abu Yusuf go and apologize to Malik. What is the percentage of Islamic scholars in the world? Is it less than 1%? Does the res- that result if all of the opinions in the school- four schools are valid and the schools are for organization? Less than, well, the the well. Why don't we look at it like this? Muslims in Muslims overall are one out of four in the world, twenty five percent. Okay, what percentage of Muslims are scholars? That becomes the next question. Five percent, right? Right. If there's if you get a hundred random Muslims, how many scholars are there? Not even one. One. 
I would say 1% of the ummah, you could say, yes, this person has knowledge, is a scholar. Less than that even. Less than that. Does that result, if all of the opinions of, in the four schools are valid? I don't understand that part of what you're saying. Because the four schools, we are looking at 1,400 years of their scholarship. And what they agree upon, as I've said many times, the verses of the Qur'an are explicit and interpretive. Explicit we don't need to discuss. That's 50%. Interpretive. Divide that into another 50%. Interpretive that has consensus upon it. The consensus has to have been made at any time in Islamic history. And then, interpretive verses that do not have consensus. The madhabs concern the interpretive verses that do not have consensus. So that ends up being about 25%. That's what Sheikh Nuh Keller also he said 25% uh, is the difference in the four schools. There is no madhabs on explicit verses. We do not accept madhab on, that's heresy and kufr. If you go against the explicit verses. Do you have to stay? Do you have to follow the madhab of your family? No, not at all. No doesn't affect anything like that. You do not have to stay on the method of your family. May I know what is the fidya for one broken fast? It's to feed one poor Muslim. That's the fidya. But remember, you must be talking about a fast that you broke for the sake of somebody else or the fast that you broke and you owe it and a year passed and you didn't do it. The next Ramadan came and you didn't do it. That's when you need to do qada plus fidya. It looks like we're going to have to do a Ramadan prep here. Definitely. Yeah, with the slides and everything. Yeah. Someone trying to what? Voting shirk? Oh, is voting shirk? No. No. Maximum would be haram. Maximum. Right? Maximum, you'd be committing a sin. Cannot be shirk. Unless you believe that it would be kufr if you don't believe that Allah's law should be applied in the earth. That would be kufr. But because if sorry, let me clarify that. It would it would be kufr if you believed that there's something better than it. Okay? If you say, no, I yes, I believe Allah has the best law, but it's not the time and place, then you may say that's an innovation. And if you say, yes, Allah's law is the greatest of laws, it should be applied at all times, but I'm just, I can't do it right now. I don't feel like doing it, I don't want to do it. Right? That's sinful. So ruling by other than Allah's rule can be kufr, can be bid'ah, and can be uh, sinful. Bid'ah in this respect is a belief that renders your good deeds invalid until you fix your belief. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Kawthari declared someone a kafir who declared haram as halal, no matter if he says, I see it better. So he's likening that to voting, I think. If I'm yes, if you make, th- you're essentially saying the Quran is wrong. That's what you're, that's why the one who makes the, the qat'i haram, remember, the, that must be haram on a qat'i basis. Because there's haram on an ijtihadi basis. Like what? The Hanafis forbidding shellfish, the Madikis forbidding horse, donkey and mule. That's tahrim by ijtihad. But if it's haram by the nas, and you render it halal, you're saying the Quran is wrong. Okay? But is there a direct prohibition on voting per se? Not necessarily. Because someone may argue with you that it's the lesser of two evils. So it is. Uh, it may have been haram at one, in one situation, but in this situation it may be the lesser of two evils. So that's what, um, that's why it, it can't be just clear cut that we say it's kufr. We have some questions from Telegram. Telegram, People let's hear priority. it. Mm-hmm. Why is it that we see practicing parents having non-practicing kids and vice versa for non-practicing kids? Parents having practicing kids. Why are there some good parents, bad kids, bad parents with good kids? Allah Ta'ala is distributing the mercy so that they could help one another. Okay. So as if in the, as imagine like in the Lawh al-Mahfuz, in the book of destiny, there's good, good people and bad people. If you put all the bad people together in one family, how will they ever come out? If you put all the good people in one family, okay, they don't benefit each other. So Allah Ta'ala has mixed them up. So that they could benefit each other. And we ask Allah to make all of our children righteous. And there are many families, everyone's righteous. I've seen it. Don't ever say, oh, they're... No. There are a lot of families, everyone's righteous. Okay? All right, mm-hmm. What does seven earths and seven heavens mean? This, there are seven, abo- not seven earths, but seven abodes of existence. They are different from the seven paradises. Okay, So when the Prophet ﷺ went on the Isra and Mi'raj, Isra to Jerusalem, Mi'raj up to the seven heavens, we call these. Paradise is something else completely. That is not opened until the Prophet enters it on the Day of Judgment, but he has been allowed to see some things in it. What else on Telegram? All right, another one on Telegram. Can we finish with Dua An-Nur? Mm-hmm. Can we finish with that today? Yes, we will, inshallah. I'll pull it up and we'll do that. If a non-Muslim calls out to God, are they calling about to Allah? Yes. And could Allah answer? Yes. Allah may, when he answers the non-believer, it is either out of mercy or out of istidraj or... To, to make them stop praying to him. What's the situation? There are three different situations. He may simply have mercy upon him. He has mercy upon him already that he has a face and he has eyes and he has ears. That's mercy. Okay? He may answer their prayer out of mercy of them. It doesn't mean he's right about his religion. That's what the, many of the Christians got wrong. It doesn't mean you're right about your religion. He may answer them out of istidraj. What does that mean? He's doing something bad and saying... Uh, uh, and and. And he's asking God for help while knowing it's bad. And Allah helps him. So he goes even worse into the sin. Okay, Allah blesses him with more. 
So many preachers. How about all those preachers, right? All those preachers that were corrupt. They were stealing people's money. They're doing fake uh, healing sessions. They, he they heal people and it's all a fraud. Are they not saying, God bless us, bless us, bless us, right? And he's doing fraud right there. Why? Allah's answering of those prayers is not an answering of prayers out of love and mercy. It's an answer out of prayer to say, okay, we're going to expose you. But what's the point of exposing a fraud that only three people will see? Or 300 people or 3,000? How about let's make you have an audience of 30 million, right? 30 million people will see this flaw. Then we'll collapse you. Then 30 million people get protection from you. And anyone, anyone who's like you. That's called istidraj. And the benefit, there's a benefit in istidraj. The benefit is that Allah elevates the wrongdoer so that we all can see him. And then he shows, he, he, he brings the justice. Isn't that far better than every time someone does something wrong, they, they get the justice right away? Right? They get shut down right away. Then we won't benefit. We won't learn. But when one guy goes all... That's called istidraj. Okay? Taking someone all the way up, then dropping them. Is it for fun, do you think? No, it's not for fun. It's for benefit. The whole society saw this. Okay, We all saw it go up, and we thought, wow, is this really good? I mean, it feels doesn't feel right. But they're getting a lot of success. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. We argue, we debate, and then they collapse. Then there's no more debate. That's called istidraj. And Allah Ta'ala may answer a prayer because he does it from a profligate person, a, a, a wicked person, a mean person that Allah does not love, and then he may uh, answer them to shut them up. I don't want to hear their prayer. Just give them anything. Shut him up. But Allah does not answer the prayer of a righteous Muslim except out of love, mercy, and goodness. No tricks involved. One more question, Rai, and then we wrap up. Right from Telegram, uh, did Abu Hanifa rahimullah start seeking knowledge at 22, and are there other major scholars who started at a similar late age? How did they attain such a high rank? So the general question is: st scholars who learned at a late age? Yeah. Yes, it happened. A lot of people did study only at a late age in life. How did they attain a high rank? Because sometimes in these situations, Allah Taala blesses people's time. Right? Allah blesses people's time. That's the truth of the matter. And uh, when their time is blessed, yani, they uh, achieve what they achieve, what Allah wills for them to achieve. Not much of an answer, but that's, I don't know how else to put it. Tawfiq from Allah. All right, Hizban Nur. Yeah, if possible. No, that's fine. As soon as it comes up on the phone. Yeah, actually switch it over, fade it over. Yeah, all right. Then it'll come up on my phone. I'll be able to see it. MashaAllah, 400 people. That's great. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Allahumma ja'alli nooran fi qalbi wa nooran fi qabri wa nooran fi sam'i wa nooran fi basri wa nooran fi shari 
ونورا في بشري ونورا في لحمي ونورا في دمي ونورا في عظامي ونورا في عصبي ونورا من بين يدي ونورا من خلفي ونورا عن يميني ونورا عن شمالي ونورا من فوقي ونورا من تحتي اللهم زدني نورا وأعطني نورا واجعل لي نورا وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين Oh,